Okay, just to start, this is, uh, anyone know what type of animal that is? No, no, well they might be related, I don't know, I'm not too good. They, these are African impalas, these are uh, Ian and Izzy, the African impalas. We'll come back to them later, just keep them in mind. Okay, we're going to be reading, <laughs> what a great intro, eh? Uh, we're going to be reading uh, from Mark chapter 9 today, and we're following on, uh, Tor preached brilliantly last week, I hope you, uh, hope those of you who are here enjoyed it, and if you weren't, it's already on the website, Tor spoke on the transfiguration, which was this amazing mountaintop experience that three of the disciples got to have, where they saw Jesus transfigured, shining bright, and, and meeting with Elijah and Moses on the mountain, this incredible experience. Well, we're going to follow on from that this week with what happens next in this amazing Gospel of Mark. So if you've got your, your Bible with you, uh, turn to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read from 14 to 29, and it's also on the screen if you want to follow it there. Should we read it together again? Well, overwhelming response. I'm going to take that as a yes. Let's read it together. I can tell you're all really up for it. You need waking up. Let's read it together from verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, It throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is a a really interesting passage. And it's another one that actually touches on some themes that we've already come across in this series, we see actually a healing and a casting out of demons. And I could spend all morning talking about these things, but actually we've had 
talks in this series which have addressed these things really, really well. So Matt gave a talk a little while ago on this, the story of the of Legion, uh, the, the multiple demons that were inside this man, and he cast them out into the into the pigs. Do you remember that one on the hillside? And Matt's talk was so so helpful. It was outstanding, just telling us about about that, that casting out of demons, demystifying it, and taking some of the, the preconceptions away about it. And then I gave a, a brilliant talk on <laughs> on healing, um, if if I say so myself. Now there was a talk I gave on on the subject of healing. Why doesn't God always heal? Why do we why do we have this issue where we we, we seek God for healing and it doesn't always happen? And looking at one of the stories in Mark. So can I encourage you? on the church website or through Church Suite or if you've got iTunes or another podcast client, all of our talks in this series are available to listen to. So if you want to hear a talk that addresses those particular issues this week around casting out of evil spirits and, and, and healing of the sick, please go back and listen to them because I'm going to address something slightly different this morning. Uh, but I commend those uh, all the whole series to you actually. It's been really great. But today I want to widen the scope a little bit because this passage contains a question which I think is of huge relevance, not just on the area of healing and casting out demons, but actually for the whole of our walk with God, the whole of our relationship with Jesus. The, the overview of this passage, we saw last week this transfiguration, this moment up on the mountain where Peter, James and John are with Jesus, seen and transfigured. Now uh, they come off the mountain and they join up with the rest of the disciples. And the rest of the disciples they find are in a big argument. And they're arguing with these pesky teachers of the law, these Jewish authorities who think they know everything and are coming down on the disciples and and, and having a go at them. And the argument is about this issue of casting out evil spirits because a guy has brought his son and his son has got this evil spirit. In fact, interestingly, the scholars reckon the symptoms he had were very similar to what would have been something like epilepsy, that sort of thing. And he brings his son possessed by this spirit and he, and he, he begs the disciples, please, will you heal my son? And they've tried, and they've failed. And so these teachers of the law have pounced on the situation. They've seized the disciples' failure as an opportunity to have a pop. And no doubt they're saying, ah, you follow a false teacher. You thought you could heal this guy. You thought you could cast this demon out. You can't. You've got no power. This Jesus guy's not the real deal. It's a load of rubbish. You're blasphemers. This is rubbish. Guys, don't listen to these guys. Look, you've seen them try and heal this guy, and it's not worked. It's a load of rubbish. And that's the scene that the disciples who come down off the mountain with Jesus, that's what they, they, they encounter. The rest of the disciples in this argument, trying to persuade people, no, he is real. I know we've, we've failed to cast these demons out, but he's real, honest. And Jesus comes in. And he says, what's, what's going on here, guys? How long has this guy been like this? And, and the, 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 the father explains the situation. He says, this is what's happened to my son. This is what I did. I brought him here to be, to be helped. And it's not worked. And the guy says to Jesus, Take pity on us, if you can do anything. And what a request that is. If you can do anything. And Jesus picks up on that straight away, did you notice? If you can, it's always a little bit, do you know who I am? If you can, I mean, how little you understand of the kingdom of God. Because everything is possible for the one who believes. And Jesus heals the boy, casts the demon out, and the disciples are left scratching their heads as to why they hadn't managed to do it. That's the kind of, that's what happens in this passage. But before Jesus heals this boy, before he casts this demon out, this guy says something which I think could be a prayer that is echoed by nearly every single one of us. It's a prayer which I think mixes 
a genuine level of faith with an admission of real doubt and uncertainty. It's a prayer which I think we could all be praying, and it's this. Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It's a funny prayer, isn't it? I believe, but help my unbelief. What a prayer. And it actually, it takes us right back, actually, to where we saw Peter in the previous chapter declare that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, I say, you are the Messiah. And then straight away, he reveals, like, even though he just said that he believes that, in practice, he's not living that out. And straight away, he's saying, I believe you're the Messiah, but you can't go and do that. You can't go and die. You can't go and go on a cross. It takes us straight back to that situation of declaring faith, declaring belief, and then immediately showing the opposite. I genuinely think this is one of the most important, relevant prayers that we can pray. And it's the difference between living a half-baked, kind of Christian-ish life and actually living in the reality of Jesus' promise that we would have life in abundance. I think this prayer is echoed in so many areas of our lives today. Let me just read a few examples and see if any of these things resonate with you. You believe that God can heal, but you experience an illness which you've come to accept is yours forever and you've stopped praying to see it go. Do you see that? You believe that God heals, but actually in practice you're not asking him to do it. Sometimes we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that it contains all that we need for life and godliness. That's what it actually says in Scripture but we find ourselves barely touching it. And actually, when, when we come to the crux, when we come to a difficult time in our life, where do we look? We don't always look to the Word, do we? We look to human advice. We look to Google. We look to other places. Even though we believe that the Bible is everything we need, we look elsewhere. We believe that God is interested in our lives and that he wants to help us in every area, in every minute detail. And yet, how many of us go regularly, days and days, even weeks, without speaking to him, without asking him for help, without inviting him into our lives? We believe that God is our provider. And yet how many of us worry night and day about money? And, what, and, and what's next? And how are we going to afford this? And how are we going to afford that? And that we, we can't possibly tithe or give or, or help another person because our, our situation is so difficult and there's no way God can provide for me. Even though we know, we call him our provider. How many of us believe, we believe that our relationship with God is the most important thing in our lives. And yet we spend hours and days yearning for human relationships that are lacking. Maybe a romance or a friendship or a family relationship. We believe that our relationship with God is everything we need, and yet we spend our time just pining for something that we don't have. Or finally, you, you may believe, as we said this morning, exactly the word I brought this morning, and Chris brought as well, you believe that God forgives sin. You believe that God can forgive you, and yet you beat yourself up with guilt day after day. Do any of those things resonate? Am I, am I hitting a mark here? Anyone, anyone thinking, yeah, I, I see that? Maybe one of those things, maybe several other things will resonate with us. And there are more. But guys, the thing is, we're supposed to be living these abundant lives, full of God's grace and power. And yet often, 
we're held back from experiencing the full joys of where true faith and belief should lead. You know, outside we look like Christians and we say the right things, but inside we're leading a very different existence. I don't want us to feel condemned here. That's not what I'm about this morning. I don't want us to feel, oh no, I'm a terrible person. I believe and I don't believe. I don't, you know. Actually, look, we're under grace. Please know we're all under so much grace. We are loved. We are accepted. We are forgiven. God loves us in spite of all of these things. But he wants us to experience the fullness of a life of faith in him. We're absolutely you know, we're not about quotas. It's not about, oh, you can only have God's love if you read the Bible so much or you pray so many times. It's not about that. But do you know what? In doing that, in, in spending that time with him, we get the absolute joy of living in the fullness of belief in him. So what I want to do this morning is just unpack a little bit this discourse, this conversation between Jesus and this man. Because I think it reveals so much. It shows the tension point, that confession of faith. I believe you can do this. And a lifestyle that says, actually, that, I'm not sure that faith is really there. But there's a desire to see it change. So I want to look at three areas from this passage, which I think can contribute to our unbelief. We talk about believing, but unbelieving. That contribute to our unbelief and how we can overcome them to live abundantly. So the first one is this. The first is this. The power of teeming with God. I saw these words I've no idea how. I've got an Instagram account. I don't use it very often. I don't. Fe- I don't follow many people. It's mainly to see what photos Debbie's put up of our kids. But for some reason, once you scroll past the, the the photos that you've seen of the people you like and the people that you follow, it then shows you things that it thinks you might be interested. In. For some reason, it thought I'd be interested in what Fern Cotton had to say. Fern Cotton's a young, vibrant TV presenter who could not be less relevant in my life whatsoever. But she put this thing up on Instagram, and it said. She's a lovely person, by the way. I'm sure she's lovely, but she's just not my cup of tea. But she put this this uh, this post saying, "This is today's mantra: I am enough." And it had like fifty thousand likes and hundred thousand retweets. And oh, this is amazing! There's so much wisdom there, Fern. You're so wise. You're so wonderful. I am enough. And it's interesting and catchy, but frankly, I think it's a load of rubbish. <laughs> because if we depend only on ourselves through our lives, I think we're doomed to failure. And it's absolutely not what God wants for us, is it? He doesn't set us up in this lifestyle, in this life to walk alone. I'm in dangerous territory here of saying something I really don't want to say. <laughs> but he doesn't set us, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> he, he doesn't, don't sing it to <laughs> But he doesn't set us up for that, does he? He doesn't say, right, I've saved you. Now you're on your own and you're enough. You've got everything you need. Go for it. He doesn't, does he? That's not what he says. And then I saw another thing on the internet. Maybe spent a bit too much time on the internet this week. There's an American football team in, in America, funnily enough. And they've introduced a, a new slogan or mantra to help the players understand the power that it's not just about yourself, it's about the team. And so they're saying this, we, not me. That's what they're saying. Isn't that inspirational? We, not me. It's not about me, it's about we. It's about us. Simple and effective. And you know what? There's a bit of truth in that. Actually, as a community of believers, we definitely, we, we take that on, don't we? This is about us. It's a family. It's us. 
there's, there's strength in numbers. There's strength in this togetherness. Jesus created us to be together as a body of believers. And, and I, you know, something I like about that. It's simple and it's effective and there's truth there. But actually, I want to propose an even more important slogan, and it's this. He, not me. He, not me. What do I mean by this? Well, I think we can learn something so important from the response of the crowd to Jesus' arrival in this passage. I don't know if you spotted that. Before he arrives off this mountain, everyone's arguing and debating, and the disciples are reeling from not seeing this guy healed, and this culture of skepticism is winning. And do you know what? Now in this, possibly more than ever, I think we exist in a culture of unbelief, where people scorn our beliefs and they ridicule our faith. Do you know, and it's not even just in... It's not even just in, in, in the people who don't believe in Christianity. It's actually seeping in to our churches. When it comes to the miraculous, when it comes to the spiritual realm, when it comes to oh, anything is possible, actually, we're not seeing it. Actually, we want to be the solution to our own problems. There's a recent survey of evangelical Christians in the United States, and it revealed that 78% of evangelical Christians in the United States do not believe in miracles. That concerns me. 78% do not believe in miracles. It's hard to see stuff happen, isn't it, when the tide of opinion and debate is so strong. But get this, in verse 15, when the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. Just Jesus' very presence. Just the sight of him. And no doubt, I, I imagine... There was something different about him. As he came down off the mountain, he'd been transfigured. He'd been almost bleached white in his clothing. I'm sure there was a difference that people see, but they were just, oh, as soon as they set their eyes on him, it lifted them. Suddenly they stopped arguing. Suddenly they stopped thinking about the arguments and, oh, do we believe in miracles? Can this really happen? Can God do anything? I said, wow, Jesus, look at this guy. Just his very presence lifts their eyes and instills their faith, instills faith. Jesus gives us something so much better than I am enough. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 10, he says this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul speaking, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can you see the difference between that and I am enough? This is Paul saying, do you know what? I'm not enough. I am not enough. And if I'm left to my own, I I don't believe in anything. I've got no faith. But with him, my weakness, he is made perfect. He is strong. He can do anything. And if I pull back and say, I can't, Lord, that allows him to do it. Faith in Jesus says, I am 100% not enough, but he is. And how is that possible? Well, it's by another another passage of Paul, 1 Corinthians 6 to, uh, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. God never intended us to be enough in in and of ourselves. He actually gives us his very 
presence. He puts it inside of us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, living inside of us. Because we're not enough on our own. But with him, anything is possible. He gives us his presence and he commands us to pray, to ask for his help. You know, the disciples discover this at the end of this passage. Did you catch the ending? When they turn around to Jesus and say, wow, that was great, you got rid of the spirit. Why couldn't we do it? How, how come we couldn't manage to get, get, get this spirit out? And Jesus just, Jesus turns around and said, guys, this kind only comes out by prayer. That's a very subtle implication there. Isn't it? The implication is, guys, you were doing it by yourselves. You're trying to do it in your strength. You're trying to do it in your power, in your ability, in your gifts. But this, you needed to rely on me. You needed to come to the Father. You needed to ask me. You needed to pray and give it all to me. And I, then you can do it. Do you know what? I think so often our unbelief, this sense of I believe but help my unbelief, our unbelief so often comes as a result of our failed attempts to find our own solutions. But when we rely on God, when we recognize that we can't but he can, we should see results. We should see fruit. We should see things happen. That's when actually we, actually, that's how God helps us with our unbelief. He says, you know what? Don't believe in yourselves. Believe in me. I'm the one who can do it. So let's be people who, who know that the spirit dwells in us and that we can step out in prayer and then anything is possible. That's the first antidote. That's the first thing to come against this unbelief. The second thing is this. Know who you're up against. Know who you're up against. Do you know, in sport, a big part of winning any sporting contest is not only knowing your own strengths, but actually knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent. Actually, the best teams will adapt their tactics depending on the opposition. I got very frustrated last season when Manchester City played Liverpool at Anfield, and Manchester City were the best team in, in, in the country at the time. But they were so determined that they were the best team that they decided they could go to Liverpool and not change the way they play at all. They could just do their normal thing and beat Liverpool because they're good enough. And they didn't focus on Liverpool at all. They didn't look at Liverpool and say, well, actually, they've got some tactics and some ways of playing that, we, that might cause us some problems. They just said, no, we're good enough. And they went there and got absolutely battered by Liverpool. I was very annoyed. <laughs> Because even though they're talent-wise are the best team, they didn't take into account their opposition. And as Christians, we live in this curious tension that we believe and we know that Jesus has won the ultimate victory over evil, over sin, over death. Jesus rose from death. He won the war on sin and death. The devil is defeated, make no mistake about it. And yet, our vanquished enemy, our defeated enemy, even though he's lost the war, will still attempt to win battles. And he will attempt to create unbelief. In fact, unbelief is one of his biggest weapons. He's not afraid to attack. And he will always seek to land blows when we're vulnerable. And here in this passage, we see this happen. We see one of these tactics. We see this last-ditch attempt to try and keep this guy 
Do you remember what I said this morning about Jesus coming for you and opening the, opening the way to freedom and then, and then choosing to stay there? Actually, sometimes it's the devil who attacks that last second attack to say, no, no, you're not going anywhere. Verse 20, just as, just as the demons see Jesus, they see him, they recognize him, they recognize that, oh man, this is the guy, he's, he's already beaten us, we're, we're in trouble here. They don't just leg it, they throw the boy into a convulsion. They throw him back down on the ground, they cause a fit, and they try and do anything they can. This, this spirit does anything it can to try and prevent this boy from finding freedom. He attacks, even though he knows he's beaten, even though he's in sight, he's in, right in front of, of his defeater, he still tries. Right here in the presence of goodness and victory, the devil and his demons still have a good go at bringing this kid down. And you know what? I think this happens more than we care to admit in our lives. And we're rubbish at identifying it in, the, in, in this Western culture of ours. We're rubbish. We don't like talking about the spiritual realm, do we? If you go overseas, I'm sure Kathy will have seen it in other countries. They are so alive to the spiritual realm. They're so alive to the spiritual battle that's going on. They're not afraid to talk about it. It's like, no, this is happening. There's demons, there's angels, we're, they're fighting. We're, we're, this is going on. And here it's like, oh, well, it doesn't sound very British. <laughs> you know, we don't want to talk about it because it's, it's too, it's too up there. You know, we don't, but actually it's happening, guys. It's happening. Just as we get to the brink of going deeper with God and experiencing his goodness on new levels, the devil will make final desperate plays regularly to throw us off our game. And it might not be a fit. It might not be this physical thing, but he will use all sorts of tactics, lies, life circumstances, attacks on our finances, on our safety, on our relationships, on our health. And we have to be on our guard. I, do you know what? Honestly, I experience this almost every single time I preach. Something will happen in the week. It's like, where did that come from? And yet I just feel awful. Something will happen, whether it's a health thing or an argument or something. And, and I'm certain every single time, actually, this is attack. I'm bringing God's word this Sunday. I'm preaching God's word. And the devil doesn't like it. And so he'll do whatever he can to throw barriers and roadblocks in the, in the way. It's happened even this week. And yet we, we kind of, you know, we push it. No, I don't, don't want to talk about that really. I'm just, just a bit ill or whatever. Jesus knew what he was up against. And he was completely unperturbed by it. He was calm. And he dealt with it. But you know what? This is a reality for us. So often I think this unbelief, this, this lack of faith, this, this issue of I believe, but oh, I don't, I think it's because of attack. We experience difficulty and it knocks us off our stride completely. And we've seen it here in this church. I'm sure people can identify actually how many people have seen bad things happen in your life or actually in the life of someone else in the church. And as a result, it's, it's your faith has taken a blow. You've seen something happen. And you're like, oh, that's just knocked me for six. That I feel awful now. I, I, I feel like I've, I've just lost faith. I feel like I've lost belief. I can't, I've, my whole, everything's just taken a knock. That's what the devil wants to happen. That's what he wants. He wants to knock us off. I've, I've had that feeling. Make no mistake, our battle is a spiritual battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood that's what it says in Ephesians we often seem loath to talk about it here but it's a very real enemy we face but we have to know as well that he is a very much defeated enemy in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 it says this the reason the son of God appeared 
was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what we need to know. We need to be aware of his attacks, but we also need to know he is defeated. And if we remain in Jesus, if we remain in him, and if we we seek him and we look to him, he can't win. He can't win. But we need to be aware of his attacks. But where faith abides, the devil is powerless to overcome. So that's the second thing, that these things of unbelief. How do we overcome unbelief? One, we know, uh, we team up with God. We know that he's in us. Number two, we, we are aware of our enemy. And this is the third one. We unwrap our gifts. This guy here is a guy called Ross Barkley. He's a former Everton player. He now plays for Chelsea in England. And he came up through Everton's academy. And you know, he was viewed as one of the most gifted talents around. If you spoke to people in the academy who knew things about, about player development, they would say, look, this guy is the one. He's, he's, the, next, he's the next Rooney. He's the next big thing. This guy is going to take... Everton football by storm. He's skillful, he's pacey, he's creative, he's got this kind of maverick ability to just do whatever and surprise people and twist and turn. And at 17, he broke into the Everton first team. He got into the team even, even as a young age. And you know what? At first, he absolutely crashed. And I spoke uh, through a random connection. I actually knew one of his coaches at the academy. And I spoke to him and said, look, what, what's going on with with Ross Barkley, like he, I thought he was meant to be amazing and he, he's, he's having a nightmare. And he said, he said this, you know, this guy Sean, he said, I watched his debut from the stands and I sat there with my head in my hands because I couldn't believe what I could, what I was seeing. Because basically, David Moyes, who's the manager of Everton at the time, has said to Ross Barkley, you're in the first team now, son. Don't you dare give the ball away. Don't you dare give the ball away. If you give the ball away, I'm going to absolutely murder you. Don't you take any risks. If you lose possession, you'll cost the team and you'll mess everything up and I will be fuming you'll never play again. That was, that was the, the encouragement that David Moyes had given to him. And so this coach watched with horror as this 17-year-old kid who was so full of talent and promise and gift just looked like a petrified shell of a player. All he could do is pass the ball sideways or backwards five yards because he was so petrified of doing anything wrong. And actually, in the end, he couldn't even do that right. And, you know, someone would take a throw into him and he'd try and pass it back and it just go straight out for another throw in. And the fans were like, who is this kid? He's meant to be good and he's, he's awful. And he was a bag of nerves. He was too scared to try anything. Eventually, thankfully, David Moyes <laughs> went to Man United and did brilliantly. Um, not really. And a new manager came to Everton, a guy called Roberto Martinez, who oh, for a year was my favourite person in the world. And then it went a bit wrong. But for, sorry, sorry favourite favorite football manager in the world. Yeah, thanks. To... <laughs> I gone red. Um, but Roberto Martinez came in, he took one look at Barkley, and he knew all about him. And he said to Bark- Ross Barkley, he said... I know the ability you have. I know the talent you have. I know what you can do with a ball. And I want you to use it. I want you to try things. I want you to take risks. I want you to express yourself. I want you to play your natural game. Don't be afraid of losing the ball. If you lose it, just go and win it back again and try again. That's what I want you to do. I want you, you're no good to me if you're just 
not trying anything. Your, 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 your ability, your talent is in trying the dangerous thing and creating something special. And, and that season, oh my word, he was a good player. There was one game at Newcastle United, he picked the ball just outside his own penalty area and run the length of the pitch and smashed it in the top corner. Like, this is, this is the guy we were supposed to be seeing. Sorry, Pete, Pete's a Newcastle fan. Um, but he just suddenly, you just saw this talent just blossom and grow. All because someone had said, you've got it and I want you to use it. And that, his transformation was incredible. He became one of our best players, goals, assists, man of the match awards. He even got to go to the World Cup with England where he was, well, the whole England team was terrible. That's another point. What, what point am I making here? <laughs> Anyone tell me? <laughs> uh, the point I'm making is this. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And the Bible tells us that we are given by the Spirit gifts to use for the building up of the church. And he wants us to desire those gifts. And he wants us to use those gifts. Because if we don't, we don't fulfill our potential in him. And we rob a wider team. We rob the church of something. Actually, these, these gifts that he gives us, they're for the whole body. They're for everyone. They're for everyone's enjoyment, everyone's enrichment, everyone's building up. In the passage, immediately after, immediately after asking Jesus to help his unbelief, the man says to Jesus, take pity if you can do anything. Now, spiritually, if all Jesus had done just taken pity on him and offered him some consoling words, that's the equivalent of telling Ross Barkley just to pass the ball sideways or backwards. Because he can do so much more. That's why Jesus responds and says, whoa, what do you mean if I can? What do you mean take pity? There is unfathomable, unfathomable power available here. And I want you to experience it. I'm gifting it to you. You want to overcome unbelief? Step out in your gifts and see what God does. Ask God for gifts. We've had this wonderful time in life group recently. We've been following uh, a six-part series that Dave Holden, you all know Dave, has done on, on the Holy Spirit and on gifts of the Spirit. And it's been so helpful. And we've seen just incredible change. I know Barbara just has just been so blessed by this. We prayed for Barb recently. She's like, do you know what? I really want... Oh, you don't mind me sharing this, Barb. She said, I really want... <laughs> Data protection. Uh, she said, do you know what? I'd love the gift of words and knowledge. I'd love to have that gift. And the Bible says, eagerly desire, earnestly desire the gift. So we prayed for Bob. We said, Bob, God, will you give Bob this, this gift? She wants it. She's desiring it. Will you bless with it? And the following Sunday, she's like, Chris, I've had two words of knowledge for people this week. Knowledges? Knowledge. Two words of knowledge this week. Amazing. Like God, he gives gifts. And all because Bob desired it, and then she stepped out. Those gifts don't just happen. There's a stepping out. And whoa, like Bob's whole belief and, and, and optimism about that stuff just changed, doesn't it, Bob? In, in, in a couple of days, just like, wow, I asked and God gave and then I stepped out and did it. And wow, something happened. And that's available to all of us. These gifts of the Spirit, they're there. If you want to feed belief, step out in the gifts. We've deliberately spent time teaching into this as a church. We're going to do more of it, I hope. This passage, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, isn't it? Uh, didn't put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, I think it is. Now to each one, the manifestation, manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing 
by that one spirit. So another miraculous powers. 78% of Christians and evangelical Christians in America have stopped believing in miraculous powers. And yet it says right here, I'm giving you gifts of miraculous powers. To another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This gets me excited. When we see God's gifts present and active, this is exciting. And this is what overcomes unbelief. He's given us the tools. He's given us the gifts. Let's step out. You know, I get excited at Christmas when I see the presents under the tree, all wrapped up and ready to be given out. But I'd be mad at Christmas Day to just leave them there unopened and then put them away in a cupboard. It's in the unwrapping. It's in the using. It's in the playing with. I don't play with toys anymore, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do. All right. I deserve that one. But you know what I mean? Like it's, You've got to actually use them, open them up, use them, enjoy them, see what God does. Guys, let's not be a church that simply talks a good game and acknowledges that the gift of the Spirit exists. Let's actually step out and earnestly desire them and practice them and see what God does. And my, oh my, that will overcome our unbelief as we see God act and we see God do and we see healing and we see prophecy and we see words of knowledge and we see miraculous things happen. That's what we want to see. And it's there, it's available for us if we ask and if we step out. And coming back to Ian and Izzy, our impalas, our African impalas. Why have I put them on here? These guys are incredible animals. They can jump something like 12 feet high. 12 feet high. And yet if you go and see them in a zoo, any zoo can completely safely enclose these animals with a four-foot wall. Do you know that? They can jump 12 feet high, but they can be safely enclosed by a four-foot wall because an impala, an African impala, will not jump anywhere if he can't see where his feet are going to land. He will not take the risk. He will not jump. If he can't see where, or or she, he cannot see where their feet are going to land, they will not take the jump. They've got all this ability in them, all this power, all this ability to jump and run free, and yet they will remain caged and enclosed because... If they can't see what's next, they won't do it. They won't go for it. I don't want us to be African in parlors. <laughs> we have everything in us. We have the spirit in us. He has gifts for us. Everything is possible. Jesus says everything is possible for the one who believes. And yet sometimes I think because we can't see how it's going to finish up, we won't take the leap. Am I making sense? How often do we just not step out? Oh, do you know what? Last time I prayed for healing didn't work, so I won't ask again because it was a bit embarrassing. Or last time I last time I asked for a word of knowledge from God, didn't get one. Or, or I tried it and and it, it was wrong, so I won't, I won't do that again. That's not that's not what it's about. He's given us the ability. He's given us these gifts. He wants us to believe in Him and trust Him, even if we can't see where we're going to land. Even if we can't see where our feet are going to land. He says, I've given you this gift for a reason. I've given you faith. Actually, one of the spiritual gifts that was listed there is the gift of faith. Do you know what? That would be a really good place to start. If this morning you believe but you're lacking belief, let's ask God for the spiritual gift of faith. Let's ask him. He said to ask it. 
Let's ask him for the spiritual gift of faith so that we can then step out. Because that's how this city is going to be changed. That is how we're going to win new lives to Jesus. That is how we're going to see this vision that we've brought fulfilled. It's by stepping out, by taking risks, by taking jumps in him. Fueled by his presence, knowing our enemy, being wise to what comes against us, and by stepping out in our gifts. That's how we overcome unbelief.